Due to the graphic nature of this murder case, listener discretion is advised. This episode includes dramatizations and discussions of murder and assault that some people may find offensive. We advise extreme caution for children under 13. In 1874, the town of Saxtown, Illinois, was so small it didn't even appear on most maps. Town may not even be the right word. Just a few small farms huddled together dozens of miles from the nearest city. But that didn't matter to the hundreds of German immigrants who called it home. To them, Saxtown was like a slice of their homeland hidden on the Illinois prairie. From the home-brewed ales to the smell of schnitzel and sauerkraut in the air, the citizens of Saxtown had created their own safe harbor in what could be an unwelcoming new country. In many ways, Saxtown was your typical American small town, where everyone knew each other and each other's business. The only difference was the gossip was in German, and most of it centered on the Stilson Reader family. The Stilson readers had moved to Saxtown from Germany in hopes for a better life, and they found it. They quickly became more successful than nearly all their other neighbors. As the Stilson readers grew more and more wealthy, the town's gossip turned to envy. Everyone whispered about the hordes of money the family had supposedly hidden in their farmhouse walls. And the more criminal-minded citizens dreamed of ways to make that money their own. One day, those dreams became a reality. The Stilson Reader's Paradise transformed into a nightmare, and the tiny town of Saxtown erupted into a bloodbath. This is Unsolved Murders, True Crime Stories, a Spotify original from Parcast. I'm your host, Carter Roy. And I'm your host, Wendy McKenzie. Every Tuesday, we dive into the world of a real unsolved murder and try to solve the case. You can find episodes of Unsolved Murders and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. This is our first episode on the Saxtown Murders, the horrific axe murder of the Stilson Reader family. This week, we'll examine the events leading up to their grisly murder. Next week, we'll cover the investigation, which led to eight possible suspects, but no clear killer. We have all that and more coming up. Stay with us. There's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with a personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. This episode is brought to you by Amazon Prime. You know Amazon Prime is not just a shipping subscription, right? It's got everything, including streaming TV and movies on Prime Video. And of course, Prime's fast, free shipping. Go from watching your favorite shows to getting your favorite things. Whatever you're into, it's on Prime. Visit Amazon.com slash Prime to get more out of whatever you're into. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. 
Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. In 1809, a boy named Carl Stilzenreeder was born in the small farming town of Hille, Germany. As Carl grew up, he expected to live his entire life in Hille, just like his parents and grandparents before him. But by the time Carl reached adulthood in the 1820s, everything had changed. His motherland was crumbling amid the seemingly endless Napoleonic Wars. And political unrest aside, Carl's tiny farm barely yielded enough crops to survive. But Carl was a fighter. He and his young wife, Maria, did their best to scrape together a life. It wasn't easy. Three of their four children died by the age of four. Only their son, Fritz, who was born in 1837, made it through childhood. But at least they had each other and the charming, ivy-covered cottage they all called home. Unfortunately, that wouldn't last long. In 1840, when Fritz was only three, an unknown arsonist set their house on fire. No one knew why Carl and Maria's home was targeted. Maybe it had to do with the ongoing war or a personal vendetta against the struggling family. But whatever the reason, the fire nearly killed them all. The family barely made it out in time with what few belongings they could carry. It was a devastating loss, but Carl was not the type of man who would give up, even after such misfortune. Instead, Carl built a second farmhouse on the same foundation as his burned-down house. This cottage was smaller and not quite as charming, but it was home. For a few months, at least. That one sounded close. It'll be fine, Maria. A bolt just struck the field. The storm's getting closer. Shh, don't worry. I built the roof good and sturdy. Carl, are you sure we shouldn't... It can handle this storm. Carl! Something's starting to smoke. Quick, grab Fritz. (coughs) Should I get... Leave it! We have to go now! Lightning struck their second house and set it on fire. It burned down in a matter of minutes. This seemed like more than bad luck. It felt as if the very land was cursed. And so, finally, Carl decided he'd had enough. It was time to move. He had heard good things about the opportunities the young country of America offered. So, in 1844, Carl, Maria, and a seven-year-old Fritz boarded a ship bound for the United States. They couldn't speak a single word of English. Their transatlantic journey was no luxury cruise. These immigrant ships were packed to the brim with passengers who were given tiny meals of salted meat and plums. Fritz can't seem to keep any of this food down. Kate's just a little seasick is all. Between the rocking of this ship and the gruel they serve us, he's going to starve. We're close. Keep your spirits up. It'll be worth it. It better. Come here, Fritzy. Look out there, just a little ways west. 
Soon you'll be able to see America. In the fall of 1844, the ship finally docked in New Orleans after weeks at sea. The Stilton readers' difficult journey was finally over. The family soon heard of a small German hamlet in southern Illinois called Saxtown. It sounded perfect, as close to home as they could find in this new land. Saxtown was so small that there was no police station or bank, but the residents all spoke German. When the Stilson readers arrived, they immediately felt welcomed. Using all the money he had, Carl bought 60 acres of farmland right off the country road. Carl immediately got to work building a barn and a small farmhouse. <sighs> I think that's the last of it. Come, sweetheart. Let's have a look at our new home. I know it's not much, but... It's beautiful. Wait until we have some cows and chickens and there's some crops in those fields. Then it will really feel like home. It already does. The Stilton Reader farmhouse was built of logs and insulated with mud and straw. It was a modest home with only three rooms, a sitting room, a bedroom, and a kitchen. It faced the road with a rocky stream running behind it. But their small home left plenty of space for farming. By the 1850s, Carl and the family had huge fields of wheat, corn, and oats, and plenty of animals. Maria minded the cows, chickens, and pigs, while Carl, and later Fritz, cared for the crops. The family had finally found success. But even though their farm was prosperous, the Stilson readers never forgot their thrifty German way of life. Maria made the family's clothes, and they grew most of their own food. The family were able to save a significant amount of money, much of which they stored in their farmhouse. In the 1860s, Carl decided to start a side business, loaning out his extra cash as an informal banker. He began lending money to his neighbors, while charging interest, of course. I've been eyeing one of those tractors, but I just don't have the money saved. Well, they do make life easier. I haven't had to hire nearly as many farmhands. That's just it. I was wondering. No need to ask. I can lend you the money. Uh, are you sure? I don't want to take advantage of you. Not at all. It'd be good for both of us. When your farm's making money again, you can pay me back. Soon, Carl became the man to go to if you needed a loan. And the family's wealth grew and grew. But as blessed as life was for the Stilton readers, their good fortune couldn't last forever. In 1866, Maria passed away at age 63. After her death, Carl left most of the farming duties to Fritz. In 1868, Fritz, now 30 years old, married a 22-year-old local German woman, Anna Tatya. It had always been Carl's dream to pass along his family farm to his son, and now he could. Soon, Fritz had his own son, Carl, with a K, and a daughter, Anna. Fritz was just as successful as his father, if not more so. But his family had always been frugal, so he was too. His wife and children lived with his father in the same small farmhouse he grew up in. Carl was not quite as content as his son, Fritz, however. After his wife's death, he started drinking heavily. 
And as jovial as Carl was sober, alcohol turned mean. He started picking fights with everyone, from his neighbors to his family members. One argument with his brother over a relative's inheritance turned so ugly the two vowed to never speak to each other again. Arguments over money spoiled many of Carl's relationships, including one with Fritz's brother-in-law, Fred Boltz. Carl, please, we just sat down to supper. Oh, so you could pay for supper then? I told you I would have the money to you by the end of the week. You said that last week. I just needed a little more time. I wasn't able to- I don't care if your family. A deal is a deal. When I sell the cattle, I'll have the money. I promise. You better. I have a lien on this place. Settle up with me or the farm is mine. Carl's arguments were causing trouble around town, but Fritz did his best to ignore them and focus on growing his family and their fortune. Unfortunately, that very money would soon lead to trouble and the entire family's bloody, violent deaths. Up next, we'll cover the Stilton Reader's final days. Hi, listeners. They say there's someone for everyone. A soul to share your secrets with. A companion to grow old with. A conspirator to commit crimes with. Starting this February on Spotify, learn about the lethal and legendary lovers who fought the law in the ParCast limited series, Criminal Couples. If you've ever referred to your best friend or beloved as your partner in crime, this exclusive series is for you. Beginning February 1st, discover the radical side of romance with a collection of unlawful love stories from shows across the ParCast network. Track the nefarious exploits of Bonnie and Clyde. Meet married mafiosos Jackie and Thelma Wright and uncover the secret lives of alleged spies Julius and Ethel Rosenberg. Fall for the most famous and feared pairs in history in the Spotify original from ParCast, Criminal Couples. Enjoy two-part episodes every Monday. Follow Criminal Couples free and exclusively on Spotify. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Now back to the story. In the late 1860s, America was in a period of heavy expansion. The economy was booming like never before. Everything was headed west. As the railroads laid down more tracks, business interests and homesteaders followed. Saxtown, Illinois, grew substantially. But in 1873, it all came to a screeching halt. Overspeculation in the railroads and businesses caused a massive economic crash and brought on a depression that hit Americans across all walks of life, from businessmen to farmers on the fields. 
By early 1874, most of Saxtown's farming community was struggling to get by. But their loss was the Stilton Reader family's gain. As the town became more and more desperate, Carl and Fritz Stilson Reader's money-lending business boomed. Their wealth did not go unnoticed by the town. In fact, a rumor circulating through Saxtown that March said that the Stilson Readers had just come into a large inheritance from a family member in Europe. In the poor farming community, nothing could spread gossip faster than the hint of money. The rumor quickly gained traction, and soon people were whispering about a package of gold that had been delivered to the nearby town of Mildstadt, addressed to the Stilson Readers. Did you hear the news? What? Did old Carl start some sort of fight again? No, no, nothing like that. I heard they just inherited a fortune. In times like these? Unlikely. Well, Rebecca told me that she heard it was gold. Gold bricks. Gold? I'd be careful if I was them. There's some desperate folk around here. On March 19th, 1874, Fritz Stilton Reader traveled to Millstadt to pick up a package. Whether that package was indeed gold bullion, we'll never know. But what we do know is that after picking up the mysterious package, Fritz headed to a farm auction in the nearby town of High Prairie. Farm auctions at the time served not only as a marketplace for farm goods, but also as social events. Almost the whole town of Saxtown was at the auction on that Thursday afternoon, and nearly everyone noted that Fritz carried a covered basket that was possibly full of gold. After making a deal to sell some potato seedlings to his neighbor Ben Schneider, Fritz went around the event trying to drum up business. I have upwards of $800 I can loan, if you should need it. $800? How did you come across money like that? Hun, don't be rude. We don't need a loan, Fritz. Thank you. Very well. Uh, any other takers? You know it's not nice to ask about money. Hey, he was the one flaunting it. He better be careful talking about all that money like that. Someone could get the wrong idea. As Fritz was leaving the auction, he spoke to Ben Schneider. They made a plan for Ben to pick up the potato seedlings from the Stilson Reader's farm the next afternoon. With that, Fritz got on his horse with his mysterious basket and traveled to Saxtown. It was the final time Fritz Stilson Reader would be seen alive. Fritz arrived at his family's home in the evening and was greeted by their new dog, Monk, a massive Newfoundland. They had recently acquired the dog to serve as a family pet and guard dog. The family ate a small supper and then headed to bed. Carl, as always, slept in the farmhouse's bedroom. Fritz and his wife normally shared a bed in the main room, but that night, baby Anna was sick, so the mother, baby, and young Carl took the bed. Fritz agreed to sleep on a chair. He would never make it to the morning. The next afternoon, March 20th, Ben Schneider walked to the Stilson Reader farm to pick up the potato seedlings he had bought from Fritz. The warm spring day was a welcome respite from the cold winter snap that had recently plagued the town. The path to the farm was muddy from the past week's heavy rains. It was late in the season for Ben to be sowing seeds, but the winter storms had made it all but impossible to put them in the ground any sooner. 
He wanted to get the seedlings as soon as possible, but when he reached the Stilson Reader farm, he forgot all about the potatoes. Something seemed off. The farm animals were restless. The family's dog, Monk, yowled somewhere in the distance. Ben cautiously approached the farm door and gave it a knock. Afternoon, Fritz. It's me, Ben. Anna, are you there? I'm here to pick up some potatoes from Fritz. Huh. He said he'd be here. Mr. Stilson Reader? Mr. Stilson Reader? Anyone in here? I, oh, oh, oh my God. The sight that greeted Ben Schneider was enough to turn anyone's stomach. A massive puddle of blood greeted him inside the door. Looking down in horror, Ben saw Fritz's body. The man's head was nearly severed from his neck. Just a few feet away were Anna and her children, whose bodies had been brutally bludgeoned. And down in the bedroom doorway lay Carl, covered in stab wounds. Blood splattered the walls. The entire house had been completely turned upside down, as if the killer, or killers, had been searching for something. But Ben wasn't about to investigate himself. He had seen enough. He just turned and ran to a neighbor for help. That neighbor was Ben's brother, George Schneider, who lived just under a mile from the Stilton Readers. George knew the family well, not only as neighbors, but also as friends. George didn't believe Ben at first. Surely his brother was pulling his leg. This kind of thing didn't happen in Saxtown. And who would murder two innocent children? But seeing Ben's pained expression, George knew he was telling the truth. From there, news traveled fast. The townspeople were shocked to hear about the grisly murders. Soon, a group of men gathered around Ben Schneider to hear firsthand what he had seen. Ben repeated the story to George's housemates, two mining brothers named Charles and George Killian. The Stilson Reader's other neighbor, Fred Eckhart, was also listening in. After hearing the horrific details of the murder scene, the men agreed to head to the Stilson Reader home and keep watch until the sheriff arrived. Someone had already sent word to the county sheriff, but he was over 20 miles away. It would take hours for the message to reach him. As the men walked to the Stilson Reader farm, they discussed possible suspects. The killer could be a random passerby, but the road in and out of Saxtown was all but impassable due to flooding and mud. The men likely hoped the murderer was a stranger, but the unspoken truth was it was most likely a resident of Saxtown. And Ben's brother, George Schneider, was acting very odd. I'm not so sure. I'm not so sure I can. What, George? <sighs> George, what is it? Are you okay? Yes, yes. I just need a... <sighs> He's fainted. Help me get him up. George was starting to look suspicious. He was also a butcher by trade. He certainly knew how to use a knife. And since his brother had found the bodies to begin with, he might be in on it as well. But all those thoughts flew from their minds 
the moment they reached the murder scene. When the men finally reached the house, they all refused to enter. No one wanted to see the horror that hid behind that farmhouse's door. All the men stayed outside until Isaiah Thomas, the local schoolteacher and justice of the peace, arrived. Isaiah was one of the only educated men in the area, and he quickly took control of the scene. He entered the house to make sure that all of the Stilson readers were dead. Most of the men followed Isaiah inside. While the majority of them could barely look at the gruesome bodies, George Killian seemed oddly fascinated by the whole thing. No pulse. Here, help me put this sheet back over her. Wait, let me take a look at her. Is her eye popping out yet? Leave it, Killian. We need to try to keep this place looking the same. I just want to take a peek. Hey, I said let's leave that to the sheriff, shall we? The men stayed in the home for just a few minutes before heading back out to escape the sickening murder scene. Noticing that the door had been unlocked from the inside, Isaiah came up with his own theory on the murder. Maybe the Stilton readers had kindly taken in a weary traveler, only to have him turn on the family. The theory was not as far-fetched as it might sound. Illinois at that time was essentially the Wild West. Violence was not uncommon, and a desperate person might not be above murder to run off with some money. But Isaiah knew that it was just as likely a local committed the crime as a stranger. As if summoned by Isaiah's doubts, John Afkin, a German farmhand, silently joined the group of men outside. John didn't say anything all night, not even when the murder scene was described to him in all of its gory detail. The men couldn't help but be suspicious of that. John had once lived on the Stilson Reader's farm to help with farm work. He knew the family well, but he didn't even wince when he heard about their murders. John often worked as a grubber, a man who removes tree stumps from new farmland. And if there was one tool a grubber knew how to use well, it was an axe. Throughout the night, around a hundred people slowly gathered in front of the farmhouse. Almost the entire town was there. Parents even brought their children. The Stilson Reader's yard was aglow with lamps and torches. It seemed like everyone was too frightened to stay home alone. They felt safer in a group. Rumors and speculation rippled through the anxious crowd. A stranger is what I heard. I heard George Schneider fainted when he came to the house, and his brother was the one that found the body. That's too odd a coincidence. George couldn't hurt a fly. That John Ofkin, though, he's always been a little off. That's who I'd put my money on. John? We've had him over for supper. If you're looking for another suspect, I heard that Mr. Kilyan was acting awfully peculiar when he looked over the bodies. Isaiah Thomas tried his best to keep the large gathering calm as they all waited on the sheriff. He was going to make sure that no one else entered the crime scene before the investigators had a chance to examine it. It wasn't an easy job. The townspeople of Saxtown got more and more restless as the evening bore on. They were desperate to know any details that could put their minds at ease. Perhaps the sheriff could do just that.
Up next, we'll hear about the sheriff's arrival in Saxtown and his initial thoughts on the crime scene. This episode is brought to you by Amazon Prime. You know Amazon Prime is not just a shipping subscription, right? It's got everything, including streaming TV and movies on Prime Video. And of course, Prime's fast, free shipping. Go from watching your favorite shows to getting your favorite things. Whatever you're into, it's on Prime. Visit Amazon.com slash Prime to get more out of whatever you're into. This episode is brought to you by Etsy. Sound the gifting panic alarm. You need to get an amazing gift. Wait, no, the perfect gift. Relax. Now you can use Gift Mode on Etsy. Gift Mode on Etsy takes the stress out of gifting, so you can find the perfect item for anyone and any occasion. It's easy. Just tap or click Gift Mode on your Etsy app or Etsy.com. Then answer a few short questions about who you're shopping for and what they like. And Gift Mode instantly gives you curated gift ideas based on hundreds of personas. Now it's simple to find gifts made by independent sellers for all the people in your life. So whether you need a housewarming gift for the new homeowner or a birthday present for the pickleballer, Gift Mode has you covered. Need to find the perfect gift? Don't panic. Try Gift Mode on Etsy now. And now, back to the story. On the night of March 20th, 1874, Sheriff James W. Hughes was relaxing at home with his family. Another hard day's work was over. The 48-year-old was the chief law officer of St. Clair County, Illinois. He'd earned a reputation across southern Illinois for his strong presence and commitment to justice. Policing was in his blood, after all. His father had been sheriff of this same county back when it was nearly empty territory. Hughes would often work through the night to put criminals behind bars. But this evening, he wrapped up work early so he could enjoy his wife's cooking and spend time with the kids. He had no idea one of the biggest cases of his career was about to drop on his lap. As he tucked his young children into bed, Sheriff Hughes heard a loud knock at the door. It was Constable William Bongart. News of the Saxtown murders had barely left Bongart's mouth before Hughes leapt into action. The sheriff quickly changed into his uniform and strapped on his Colt 44. After assembling a team of deputies and telegraphing the coroner, he set off towards Saxtown. The road into town was muddy and treacherous. The caravan didn't arrive at the crime scene until well after midnight. Despite the late hour, nearly the entire town was there to greet them. Sheriff Hughes collected himself and headed inside the Stilton Reader house to see the gruesome sight. He left a few deputies outside to question the townsfolk. And that was the last time you saw Fritz alive? Yes, at the auction down in High Prairie. Talked to him for just a couple of minutes. He seemed in good spirits. Can you think of anyone who was unfriendly towards the Stilton readers? Carl was a mean old man, but nearly everyone loved Fritz and Anna. And those kids loved them like our own. Meanwhile, inside the Stilton readers' house, Sheriff Hughes and his deputies stared down at Fritz's body. He lay in a puddle of his own blood, his head nearly detached. It appeared that three of Fritz's fingers had been chopped off as well, likely during a fight with his attacker. Carl Stilson Reader's body lay in the doorframe of his bedroom. His jacket was still in his hand, 
as if he had been trying to escape the house. His body was even more mangled than Fritz's and covered in large, gaping wounds. Sheriff Hughes was used to horrific crime scenes from his job, but nothing could have prepared him for this. The most tragic sight in the home lay in the center of the main room. Anna and her two children were in bed, like they were still sleeping. The baby was clutched to her dead mother, and the young boy was barely recognizable. After examining the bodies, the sheriff and deputies searched for clues. Every single closet, drawer, and box in the home had been rifled through. There was a mess of clothing and personal belongings strewn across the floor. It was clear that the murderer had been searching for something. A deputy checked the back door. It was locked, but the front door had been unlocked from the inside. At first, it seemed like Isaiah Thomas's theory about a thieving lodger had been correct. The next big clue came from the wooden doorframe of Carl's bedroom. Detective! Look here. A blow from the axe. The first swing must have missed Mr. Stilton Reader. Wow, that's a deep cut. This is hard wood. Looks as if he knew what he was doing. Strong and left-handed. See how the cut goes from left to right there? After collecting all the clues they could, Sheriff Hughes and his deputies exited the Stilton Reader's home to wait for the coroner to arrive. But Sheriff Hughes wasn't about to waste time sitting around. He continued searching for clues among the Saxtown citizens themselves. He approached many of the men that were gathered at the house, casually handing them his cigar or a lantern as they spoke. Sheriff Hughes was secretly taking note of which men were left-handed. Mr. Schneider, I was wondering if you could write down what you saw. I find sometimes witnesses remember more that way. Oh, uh, yeah, I can, but I'm not much of a writer. That's fine. Whatever you can do. Here, let me grab you a pad and pencil. You write with your left hand. My youngest son's a lefty, too. Yeah, my teachers tried to train it out of me, but it didn't stick. The fact that Ben Schneider was both left-handed and had discovered the Stilson readers' bodies made him a leading suspect. But there were still many other people left to talk to. As the sheriff went around the crowd asking questions, people grew more and more restless. They were desperate to hear the sheriff's thoughts on the murders. He told them the truth. It was the most repulsive crime he had ever witnessed or even heard of. But they weren't satisfied yet. They wanted to know how he thought the murders were committed. So Hughes laid out his entire theory. He believed the murders had been committed by one man using a hatchet or an axe. He deduced, based on the fact they still lay in bed, that Anna and her children had been killed first. Fritz had struggled with the assailant as it looked as if he had rolled around on the ground before dying. Carl must have been awakened by the struggle. He likely grabbed his coat to run out of the house. The first blow had missed and hit the doorframe, but the second killed him. Sheriff Hughes emphasized that the entire attack was incredibly quick. He guessed less than 10 minutes. The crowd was startled by these details, 
But nothing shocked them quite as much as the sheriff's next announcement. Shh, quiet, let the man speak. I know many of us first suspected robbery as the motive of this crime. Was the place robbed? Did they find the gold? Quiet! This was not a robbery. Two wallets were found in the home, the money inside untouched. A drawer in the older man's room still contained a large sum of cash and- They left the money? What caused this then? I said quiet. The murderer wanted nothing more than to kill the entire family. To wipe them from existence. If the motive of the crime wasn't robbery, that ruled out the possibility that a random stranger had attacked the Stilson readers. It had to be someone the family knew. Someone they knew well. The entire town of Saxtown was watching their backs as the sun rose on March 21st, 1874. Search parties began combing the local area for anything that could possibly be used as evidence. The locals wanted to be helpful, and the work distracted them from their own fears. The morning light brought with it a major piece of evidence. On the road, a half mile from the crime scene, they found a trail of blood and tobacco leaves. At the time, tobacco was commonly used to treat wounds and stop bleeding. It looked like the criminal had been injured during his attack. It was a clue that would become important later, but right then, Hughes's mind was elsewhere. Hughes left his deputies in charge of the local investigation and returned to Belleville to further organize the manhunt and to speak with the county judge. The sheriff had an unusual request for the justice. He wanted a $1,000 reward for the killer, the equivalent of a little over $22,000 today. It was a big payout. But once Sheriff Hughes laid out the tragic facts of the case, the judge had no choice but to approve the funds. With this business done, Sheriff Hughes returned to Saxtown to attend the coroner's inquest. Hughes had given strict orders to his deputies to not allow anyone into the Stilson Reader's house while he was away. But that was easier said than done. On the morning of March 21st, reporters from local papers flocked to the Stilton Reader farm hungry for details on the crime. Nothing sold papers like murder. The journalists were desperate to get inside the home to see all the gory details. The people have a right to know! Sheriff's orders, no one inside. With a murderer on the loose? You really want the public in the dark on this? When the sheriff gets back, you can- Constable Miller, right? I'll be sure to get your name right in the article I'm writing about this. I... well... Okay, okay, just a couple of you. Oh, my. The St. Louis Daily Globe later described the inside of the home as the most terrible sight that ever a human being looked upon. While reporters focused on the crime scene, other investigators spread through town, asking locals questions and searching for the killer. And as authorities spoke to more and more people in Saxtown, they kept hearing the same name over and over again. Fred Boltz, Fritz's brother-in-law. The talk around town was that there was bad blood between the Stilson readers and Fred. Over the years, Fred had borrowed hundreds of dollars from his in-laws and had been unable to pay back his debts. 
Due to his unpaid debts, Carl had put a lien on the Bolts' farm. Fred was ashamed of his financial woes and placed the blame on Carl and Fritz. Only upsetting Fred further, Carl was known to tell anyone who would listen that Fred was a deadbeat. A few months before the murders, Fred told his wife Margaret, Anna's sister, that she was forbidden to visit Anna or anyone else in the Stilson Reader clan. And as it turned out, the trail of dried blood and tobacco leaves led away from the murder scene and straight towards Fred's farm. Thanks again for tuning into Unsolved Murders. We'll be back next week with our second episode on the Saxtown Murders. For more information on the Saxtown Murders, amongst the many sources we used, we found the Axe Murders of Saxtown, the unsolved crime that terrorized a town and shocked the nation by Nicholas J.C. Pister, extremely helpful to our research. You can find all episodes of Unsolved Murders and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. We'll see you next time. If we live till next time. Unsolved Murders True Crime Stories is a Spotify original from Parcast. Executive producers include Max and Ron Cutler. Sound design by Michael Langsner, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Carly Madden, and Freddie Beckley. This episode of Unsolved Murders was written by Matt Hartman, with writing assistance by Giles Hofseth and River Donahue. Fact-checking by Cheyenne Lopez, and research by Mickey Taylor. The amazing cast of voice actors includes Tiana Camacho, Joe Hernandez, Eddie Lee, Ellie Schiff, and Laura Faye Smith. Unsolved Murder stars Wendy McKenzie and Carter Roy. Listeners, don't forget to check out the new Parcast Limited series, Criminal Couples. From apocalyptic cult leaders to bank-robbing bandits, these couples give new meaning to Till Death Do Us Part. Enjoy two-part episodes every Monday starting February 1st. Follow Criminal Couples free and exclusively on Spotify.